Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. When you save on auto insurance for driving safe with USAA SafePilot, you'll feel like a big deal. Even in a traffic jam. Save up to 30% with USAA SafePilot. Restrictions apply. At Sleep Outfitters Outlet, great sleep is a big deal. Save 40 to 60% every day on every Sealy, Stearns & Foster, and Tempur-Pedic. Queens as low as $249. Customer exchanges, closeouts, and floor samples. Inventory changes daily, so come in for your dream deal today. With no credit needed financing, expert advice, and up to 60% off retail, it's never been easier to get the sleep and savings you deserve. Go to sleepoutfittersoutlet.com for financing details and to find a store near you. The shocking story of Jenny Bellstar. She actually murdered my sister in front of me. She was sent to a home. And they sent you back home. To be abused again. But life has a way of surprising us. Jenny's friend invited her to a recording studio. She wasn't supposed to sing. I said, I told you I couldn't sing. She said, actually, you can. And that was the start of her Bellstar career. Every single record label came down to see us. When it was over, Jenny had gone to Miami to visit and stay with a friend. And then one day, she heard her own record. And the people that were talking over it were some Tom Cruise and Dustin Hoffman. But when she came back to Britain, tragedy struck again. He took his own life. This wasn't for me anymore. I have been a lost soul. It's what you do with the experiences of life that you have that will make you the butterfly that you become in the future. A story of incredible highs and lows. So here it is. And don't forget, subscribe to this channel. Jenny Matthias, Jenny Bellstar, welcome. Listen, I've, I mean, I really was fascinated, gripped, and I don't know. I mean, your book brought up so many emotions and it was wonderful. It's called Surviving the Storm, How to Embrace Your Pain and Grow Through Adversity. It's, in a nutshell, it's a story of your life, but put in a way that is like a, a self-help book for people, something that could help people change their own lives, which is wonderful. Now, I want to come to that later, and I want to come later to a particular sentence 
that stuck with me after I read the book, and that was that you believe you chose your mother as a parent. Now, I'd like to put that out there for people to just take in now before we talk about your story, because I really right, obviously okay. want to know what that sentence really means to you. To I start, feel really bad that I'm... So Stephen, first of all, I can say, I feel really bad that I'm wearing my hat, but the windows are wide open. I came in here, I was talking to my friend, funny enough, um, uh, the, the guitarist from Madness, he's a good friend of mine. And we were talking and talking, I just said, I've let him down before I can't do it here. And of course, all the windows are still open, it's freezing cold here. And on top of that, but I've been for the last goodness knows how long trying to get into the Zoom. I couldn't get into the Zoom. So I'm not taking my hat off because it's such a bad hair day. I just thought, oh, I ain't doing that. Okay, well, I want to take you to your childhood. It sounds very hard to go to jump to this um, straight away. But you had a childhood that was fraught with violence. What are mm -hmm. your early memories of your childhood? Well, my first was my mother. She, um, she, well, she actually murdered my sister in front of me. And um, that's the earliest memory I have. And then, of course, something like that. It's very, very traumatic. I was three. How does a three-year-old take that in? Can you, do you actually remember? Do you actually know? You said it's a, your earliest memory. No, it, it must, when you, when you go through trauma, Steve, it's a feeling that never leaves you. And you know that there's something really strange that has happened in your lifetime, that you're able to, um, things trigger you'll you get things will trigger that emotion one of the things that triggered that emotion later on in my life was the fact that my brother my younger brother um the reason why my mother was triggered like that by the way was that she was suffering that thing that you suffer when you've you've had a child was it postnatal depression i think it was i think that's what the deal was and my my sister she had a very um uh high-pitched screaming voice so she was very, very high pitched and she, my mother couldn't take it on those moments where she was feeling in that way. Now, of course, I didn't understand that at the time because I was very young and I was, um, I just didn't understand that sort of thing at that time. So she, um, you know, she, that was one of the things that she did. And just through this moment of madness, she put the, um, the pillow over my 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 sister's face strangled her and the next thing you know she's dead i mean obviously we're going to talk about the consequences for you in your life but just out of interest what were the consequences for your mother of that action well you have to understand that my mother and my father my mother's irish and my father's jamaican this was the 50s and they didn't care and my mother was um a very attractive woman and she could she, she could put her, she you know she can put anybody around her little finger and that's exactly what she did and then um yeah and she just got away with it and that's fine that's fine because it's just fine you know it's fine i i i'm not bitter about that why she you know i i, I you know for whatever reason when you when you get older in life, Steve, you become a lot more like philosophical about things, and you realise that there's a, a bigger thing going on here. When did you realise that the experience you were having wasn't normal? 
good question. Because as a child, you don't know, you don't think like that. You don't, don't think you're just going from A to B to wherever. And I was in a, I was, I think we went to a holding place, which I've got no idea anything about that. But the, um, the we then went on to a convent. And it was the convent that made me realize there's something wrong here. I shouldn't be here with all these nuns and these crazy people. And then I then moved on to a children's home. And the children's home was an incredible experience and pro pro possibly the savior of, of my life. And although it's kind of religious and everything else, and we went, we, we, you know, we fell into that kind of category. Um, the, the most important part was we had stability, which is something I would never have had had I been with my mother. And my mother was uh, damaged goods as a child. And so I understood um, later on why she was the way she was. And so what I would say about the children's home was the, st the stability that we never had when we were with my mother the um all just the, all the normality of it all and when you're in a children's home you you know you get everyone's so lovely to you because they think you're an orphan and, and you are and you are and you think you're, you're all of these things and then the social services come in and decide right it's time for you to go back and they sent you back home to your and mother. And they sent me back home to be abused again. And because I was the oldest child, of course, I would, um, this would be, everything would be on me. And by that time, my mother had had other children and there were, there were um, seven children, I think it was, she had. Which, actually, originally she'd had nine. And then what the first one died, which is the older one. And then there was me, and then there was Elaine. Elaine was the one she killed in front of me. But I have a funny feeling that she killed the other one before me. But that I, I can't say that because I wasn't born, but I, I have that feeling because that's the kind of woman she was. Hmm. I mean, you mentioned this terrible physical abuse, but there was also verbal abuse. Your mother used to say- The mental. I hate you, you are ugly. Mm -hmm. Are you reading the poem from that? Are you? Yeah. <laughs> it's like the bit you're getting out of the yeah yeah. It's a, well, you well you've got to turn these things into something positive, don't you? You know these experiences. Um, yeah, she did every day. Uh, she would say that quite often, and um, she'd say that I'd never have a boyfriend, and um, she'd also say that no one would listen to a word I say. And so, I grew up with a very low self esteem, but I don't have it now. I don't have it now, and. And because I've come out the other side, I'm able to show people how they too can become the alchemists of their own life, you know? So um, that's what that book's about. You know, I wrote that book in the gym. <laughs> I wrote it on the treadmill, the whole book, the whole book. I wrote the thing on the, on the treadmill. And you, you know, you know what it's like when you're on a treadmill, I don't know if you do it, done that, but you're on a treadmill, it's so boring. It's just so boring. And I always walk around with a journal because I'm a writer, that's what I do. And so I just, um, you know, I, I, and I was writing notes and I'd come back and, and, you know, and every day I would do that. And it was like near on like six months or something. And then the next thing you know, 
something pops into my head because I'm very much into intuition and says, um, you've got a book there. And I thought, did I hear that? So I have a book here. And sure enough, I turned it into a book and it grew legs. Next thing you know, I'm doing a book launch. Place was rammed. And, um, and then from that, I then started to write community projects because that was like, you know, that, you know, that there was the book. What else could I do with the book? Well, you could go out and do the events for the book. And now I've become the ambassador for many places. And one of them, it was for um, people that had been abused in their lifetime. And my job on this earth, I honestly think, believe, is that um, I am here to um, offer uh, guidance through my experiences and I've come out the other side of, you know, I'm, I've lived to tell the tale. And, and, and my job is to show others how they too can. I've got a, a project called Show and Grow, and it's um, showing people how to grow through adversity. So, and, 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 and the people like it. They really, really like it. I get I'm really well with, I, I went for the hardest one. Um, I was an ambassador for um, some people that have been sexually abused and as, um, as children and still in their adult minds, they keep going round and round and round back to that where they were and it never leaves them. And my job is to show them how they can use that as a tool in which to help themselves and then go on to help others. And so if you're looking at the negative, which is what's happened to them and it's the thing that's killing them and it's in their head all the time. You know, they don't often see the positive, but my job is to show them the positive. Trauma has an impact on your body. You hold the trauma within your body and um, it can develop into diseases or it can have an impact on you later in life because you're holding it in there. So in that sense, um, with what has happened to you, especially from your childhood, mm -hmm. how do you think trauma impacted your body and how did you deal with that aspect of it? Self-medicated, I'd imagine. Because all the things that happened afterwards, then I, you know, then I joined a band and that was just fell in my lap. And then I became a pop star and that fell in my lap. And then, then you, you're in that environment back in the 80s when, you know, cocaine and heroin was all, you know, free and this and that. And then, so I think I think for about eight years, I self-medicated. And then I realised that this wasn't for me anymore and I'd have to come off of this. And just like everything else in my life, this fell on my lap. When I chose to actually give up, I didn't chose, choose to go to any of these places. Not that there's anything wrong with it, but it wasn't for me, each, each to their own. I'm kind of private in that way. And I didn't want to go to a place where the, um, you know, I'm talking, you know, I'm talking in a group of people about my problems. This and that. I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. So I had to do it myself. So I had to go kind of cold, cold turkey. And then I then I went on a spiritual kind of quest and, and, and you know in, into some kind of Buddhist center and that was great and I came back and I just realized you know but by then I was kind of cleaning my cleaning my my act up 
And then a few days after I came back, you know, I must have been running on that energy because I feel, I, I think energy has got a lot to do with the things that happen within your life. And I got a phone call from my sister-in-law. She said, Jenny, do you know, you know, what the, the drug czar is talking about? And I said, no, what's the bloody drug czar? And then she said, um, well, they, 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 they are desperate to get people in that have been through the drug thing, come out the other side and do projects with the children. Well, wow. I'm a creative. So for me, that was just too easy. And I had nothing, I had nothing to do because I was still kind of trying to heal myself and everything else. So I wrote a project, a two hour project um, that would be useful for schools or anything. And, and, and also I like write a lot of poetry. A lot of my poetry at that particular time was all about drugs because I, I've been involved in it and um, the perils of drug abuse and this, that, the other. Anyway, one day, and this is after I'd written the project, um, one day I was doing a cabaret thing with a good friend of mine and I had done these poems in this cabaret thing. And there was a teacher in the audience unbeknownst to me. So, so the next thing you know, I am in that school teaching drug awareness. And then it just escalated from there. I started teaching, you know, got really into the community vibe and loved it. Um, became a community champion. You know, um, still, I'm still working with, within the community. Now we feed the homeless. And, and they've got problems themselves. You know, a lot of people that have gone on the wayside is usually through drugs. And so, you know, we give them free food and everything else. And um, yeah, I wish I wasn't wearing this hat, but it's too late now, guys. I'm not taking it off. So, anyway, gonna, in the meantime, I'm still cold because the wind is open. But it's all right. I'm having a nice hot cup of tea. Make sure you stay to the end of this interview when Jenny talks about how we all have parallel lives. And don't forget, please subscribe. A friend that I'd met in the pub I hardly knew her, so she couldn't really admit she wasn't that much of a friend, but I thought, well, you know, the um, kind of acquaintance thing. And she said, Jenny, I'm going to do a single. I'm going to do some music. And, and I said, I didn't know you could sing. And she said, well, can you give me your, your support? Now, at that time, I had laryngitis. And I said to her, <laughs> and I said, oh, it's not really for me. She said, Jen, she said, I need the company. I said, okay. I said, all right, I'll, I'll come with you. So I went there and they, they, were, they were singers in there. And it was in, in Waterloo. And I think the guy's name was Ian. He was a really lovely guy. And I was in the console with him. Yeah, this thing whilst they, you know, and I was watching people going in and out and doing the singing and didn't, didn't think anything other than I'm just there to support my friend. Anyway, the guy turned around and said to me, Jenny, he said, why don't you give it a go? I said, oh, no, I don't do that. I don't sing. No, it's not, not, not for me. Not interested. And he said, well, you said you've got a great speaking voice. Why don't you try it? So I said, all right, then I'll try. You know, he said, you see what we've been doing. So I went in there, did the backing vocals, came back in. He said, um, I said, I told you I couldn't sing. He said, oh, no. He said, he said, actually, you can. And so he got rid of the two lead singers. They went home. Now, I know nothing about studios and I know nothing about anything, right? And then he said, why don't you give this a try? And so I, I looked around and then it dawned on me. I'm like, hold on a minute. I didn't even want to come here. I'm supposed to be supporting my friend. 
this guy's asking me now to do the lead vocal. I'm not feeling too good about this, you know? So, and then it's like, oh, anyway, I did it. And it, back in those days, it was cassettes. So he put the music on the cassette. He said to me, this is a brilliant guide. Would you come back and do it again? And I said, yeah, go on then, then. Because oh, I didn't know. I didn't understand. And so I went home. I never saw that girl again, by the way. <laughs> I never saw her again when I got to think about it. Now I'm speaking to her. I'm thinking, whatever happened to her? Anyway, so... So, so then I, I kid you not, that night I went home and I said to the then boyfriend, Paul Jenkins, I said, you'll never guess what I've done today. I threw the cassette at him. He played it. He said, I didn't know you could sing. So I said, no, did I? <laughs> I said, somebody said they told me I could sing. So anyway, I kid you not, that's how it happened. The following day, he gets a phone call from his ex-girlfriend, uh, Sarah Jane Owen, and he says, um, and, he's, and, 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 she, and she says, Paul, this is a real long shot, but we're looking for a singer. We've just lost Rhoda, our singer um, from the Body Snatchers. And he said, I can't believe you just called me. He said, she's sitting right next to me. So she, so she said, what do you mean? He says, my new girlfriend. She can sing. You want to hear her? And then, and then she's like, what does she look like? Now, back in those days, I had an afro. I used to wear frilly shirts and all this kind of stuff. She says, I know her. I know she, I sing it down, Gaz is rocking blues. Now, I don't know if you know who Gaz is, but Gaz was a good friend of mine, and he's um, Gaz Mayo. He's John Mayo's son, and and I was a big fan of John Mayo's when I was when I was a teenager. Anyway, so Gaz was my friend, and I used to always go down to the club, and uh, I was I used to always dress up. So with the body snatches, they love image, and if you've got if you've got half an image there, you, you they don't care if you can't sing too much, but they want them. Anyway, so they said send her down. Well, not. I've never been to an audition in my life. And I have to say, I forgot to say to you in the studio, the song that they were doing was Ico. So mm. there you are. You've got, you know, your, your boyfriend at the time <laughs> manages somehow to connect you because the, the body snatchers have, have got rid of their singer and they're looking for another singer and then they form the Bell Stars. So this initial period for you, how exciting was that? How exciting was it? I suppose it was because I'd never done anything quite like it before. And the thing is, with me, I used to just like go with the flow. I mean, I'd always been like that that kind of person, go with the flow. Go, what can I do? You know, just go with the flow. And at first, you see, you have to understand, Steve, I had very low self-esteem. My mother told me I was ugly. She, I don't look too hot with this hat on, by the way, but anyway, never mind. It's like the next time, oh, I'm so sorry, Steve. If there's ever a next time, I promise you, I'll do my own. Anyway, so, um, so, so she told me I was ugly. No one would ever listen to me, right? And and there was another one. I can't remember what it was. Um, I want. I'll never have a boyfriend. So, so no one would be ever int interested. In me. And she lied about all of them <laughs> because now I'm playing on the TV. Everyone's listening to me on the radio. I'm out there and I'm and I'm conversing in between the tracks. And but that took time because it was it was inbuilt in my head that I was all these things. And how dare I go out there and assume that I'm anything different than that? And so when I in fact on my first audition audition, I, I didn't even sing to the band. I had to sing in front of the wall because I, I was too shy. I just want to okay, I want to tell you something about my life because my mother 
told me, I, well, first of all, my, my father didn't want a third child, like a third son. And I was the third son. He was having an affairs and so on. And she, he didn't have a lot to do with me. And I believe I ended up on MTV later because mm -hmm. I was looking, it was the compensation. I was looking for love from the whole world, as it were. Yeah. But of course, it's not real. Do you know what no. I mean? I think no. I thought, I think I got the drive from that moment to be successful. Somehow within me, there was a drive for this compensation. When I got the compensation, it wasn't compensation. It was a lie. And I just wondered whether you can really see that your that possibly your drive came from this terrible events in your childhood. And then suddenly you're starting to get known. You're starting to do what everyone wanted to be in that era. You know, everyone wanted to be a pop star, have some attention, be like, you know, I don't know, on top of the pops, whatever. And in effect, though, it's actually still not making you happy. So despite, you know, you saying what your mother said, all these negative things that you're ugly, you'll never have a boyfriend and all this stuff. And then suddenly you are successful and you should have been able to take that on board. Is this really the case that actually the trauma is deeper than the compensation? It's a very good question. A bit long. <laughs> a bit long, but I mean, you know, a question like that would only come from someone that has been there in some form or other. So I'd imagine it's probably one of the reasons why I've never had a question like that before. You know, I think it's, I think it's both, you know, I think you don't get over that trauma until other things happen. And for me, but, but you know what, Steve, I think everyone's different, honey, you know, uh, you, for me, it was also, my mother was a, a self-abuser as well. So it became, it, it, it wasn't, it's part of the course, really, isn't it? So, um, you know, my, yeah, she smoked weed, which is fine. Um, then she'd take these tablets and then she'd be uppers and downers and sideways and this is, and that was like a mood thing for her, you know? So, you know, I used to walk on eggshells every single day because I didn't know what to expect, you know? Would I get the kind of baseball bat at the back of the head? Would I get, you know, punched in the face where the blood's going down on the bath? All of those kind of things, you know, but, you know, I've survived it. A bit crazy, I know, but survived it. And, but then when you're going through life, you just, I mean, I've always been one to go with the flow, go with the flow. And you're just wandering around in life, not realizing how tra traumatized you really are and how that you've not dealt with that. And so, and so then of course, I'm now in, a, in an environment where I'm surrounded by drugs, but everybody that has, has a, has, that's had a, a traumatic life is going to go down that road. I, I possibly did because I was probably something that I've seen my mother do. I had all that kind of stuff around me. Um, so that, that wasn't an unusual thing just to go, oh, you know, take a drug here, take a drug there. Then, then it gets worse when you start having the habit. But I'd imagine possibly the, the, the reason for taking them in the first place was escapism. And what do drugs usually do? Oh, they make you feel great, you know. Well, I probably probably don't today, but they the, the ones that we had were fantastic. And so so, so they, they did they did they, they did the job. But then they the drugs stop working when you become addicted. 
And then it's a whole different ball game of like you, uh, the self-medication is now the desperation to keep getting that hit and getting that hit. And you never, ever get that hit. So anybody want to take drugs, let me tell you from now, don't do it. It's just not, it's just not worth it. Um, but in the meantime, in the, in, in the meantime, so then there was a whole thing where I had to come off and then you're running around with the wrong people and everything else until one day I went, well, I know I'm going to die. I just know it. And I looked in the mirror and it's almost like my reflection saying, you know, Jen, this isn't what you were here for. You know, you're here for greater things. And I just thought, well, you know, right, it's time. And so I did. And, and it took me quite a few months and then 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 you're not over that mentally but then a, another thing that fell on my lap which is which is the thing i told you about you know the the finding out about the drugs are and everything else but it was it was my spirit within me that really you know just went for it like you know the old jolly hockey sticks oh i could do that and the and and the reason why i could do that was because I'd been a creative artist. I'd by this, by the way, Steve, I'd, I'd already done the band by then, finished that, and there was a great, great massive gap. And what I did was, you know, I hang out with some of the um, druggy, druggy pop stars. I won't say who they are. In fact, they're all dead. <laughs> In fact, actually, most of them are dead. So maybe I can say it, but I don't want really to do that. You know, it's just um, we were buddies. You know, we're all buddies. And God, how do, I, how, do, how do I stay alive? I've got no idea. Anyway, there was a reason for it. And that reason was possibly the book. And to be able to, you know, show people that there is life after this. And, you know, I have some friends that have been on through the drug thing and they're bitter about the way they, you know, or, or they're upset about having taken it. And I'm like, great. You know, that was one part of my life. I did it for a reason. I did it to help a whole pile of a whole pile of kids. I mean, the stuff that you that I've had along the way, and I've been able to assist people um, in some way or other, is by sharing this knowledge and um, inspiring them to walk a different path. My thing is always about growth. It's not about stagnation. It's always about how can you grow? Well, you can't grow with drugs. It's, it's, it's very, very simple. You know, I, I, I found a way to do it because I found an outlet. Um, that outlet is like, I'm using that past experience in order to be able to help not myself, not just myself, but the masses. So during the course of my writing, that particular, those particular projects was quite cathartic for me. It was a very cathartic journey. And, but it was also so much fun. And if, you, if you've read the book, which by the way, I have to say, thank you so much. Thank you for the review and the live review for it because I've had many people that said they've really enjoyed the book, you know, so, and, and it's always people that have been through some form of trauma. So that really, that grabs my soul and grabs my heart. It's something I can really resonate with. But, you know, at the time of writing it, you know, I just, I knew within my soul and my heart that this was the right thing to do. And, Steve, you know, right? You know, because things happen. Shit starts to happen. You get ideas in your head. And if you've read that book, which I know that you have, you got to the part where you got to intuition. I gave intuition like a chapter. You know, intuition is my best friend, is my guide. 
it's the it's the it's the being out inside or outside of me or whatever that comes and gives me my lyrics. You know, it's the being that uh, I, before I do anything in the day, before I have a cup of tea or anything that I talk to. And even if it's for five minutes, I like to do a 30 minutes, but sometimes it's like, oh, shit, I'm late. OK, let's go. You know, and, and we have a conversation together. And I, I, people probably think, you know, I'm, you know, I'm just like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm, you know, I'm as mad as a box of frogs, a good friend of mine says to me. Yeah, Jan, you're as mad as a box of frogs. Fine. I don't care. That it works for me, you know, it works for me. And I do everything um, with intuition in mind. You know, we have great conversations together. I want to get back to the Bell Stars, just talk about yeah. the music a second, because, okay, so you start with the Bell Stars and then um, you somehow get to Stiff Records. Really cool record company at the best. time. The best. Um, yeah, I mean, credible, everything. So there's, and effectively, I don't know whether you like this term, but effectively a girl group mm -hmm. being taken mm -hmm. by... Well, they were before, but they were before. You see, um, I knew nothing about music. You have to say, you have to remember this. So when we were in the Bell Stars, they'd already been the body snatches. So there was some kind of little hype about them and everything else. But when we turned into the Bell Stars, um, and also remember the environment was changing from Scar, to now the new, new romantic scene. So we've become, we've gone from that. I came in on the cusp. I came in on the cusp. And and so we, so in the, in between that, you had the, like the new wave, new romantics, uh, pop, pop, uh, all that kind of stuff. And, and we went on the kind of scar pop thing because they'd already been the reggae kind of thing. So we did, did this, this pop thing. And, um, I think Dave Robinson, the person that owned Stiff Records at the time, is his canny, canny um, Irishman. He was he was um he, he I think he took on madness. Well, I think he must have assumed because the girls were a scar band, the Body Snatchers, and then of course they didn't they didn't defunct. They just morphed into the Bell Stars. That we were going to be the female version of Madness. Well, we weren't, of course, but um, that's not the point. But, decide, but but here's the deal. So it came to the point where we'd now have to do a gig. And it was one of those gigs back in those days. I don't know if they do it now, but I don't think they do. But it was always like the pomp and circumstance with bands. Oh, the new band is out here. Um, there's a hype on this band. Well, we were the one that were, that were hype. And, of course, it was seven women. And the seven women played their own new – there were six women played their own instruments, I just say. And um, – and, and wrote their own songs and everything else. And then we were, had a gig in Dingles, Camden Town, <laughs> Camden Town. And so, and so what happened was every single record label came down to see us, everyone. And this is when Dingles was at its height, it was a fantastic venue. And we played and everybody courted us. And who did we go with? Stiff Records. And why did we go with them? for all the reasons that you just mentioned before, because they were credible, they were cool as F, and on top of that, they had all our mates on the label. So we said, yeah, we're going with you guys. Mm -hmm. They wanted you to release singles, which were covers at the start, didn't they? No, no, all... no, 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 not at, the, not at the start. We did a, we did a, we did a track called Hiawatha. Now that was, uh, I think we did that because it had been a Body Snatchers track, because it was a reggae track. I really liked the track. I really did, I really liked it a lot. and. Um, I think Stella had written it, 
And she uh, and she wanted it in there, and, and I wanted to do it. We all really liked it, and and it did. It, it didn't chart, and we had Alan with Stanley, Clive Langer and Alan with Stanley. They were um, they were the produce, producers of Madness at the time, so you would have thought it would have been a hit. And on top of that, we had um, Elvis Costello and Paul Young doing the backing vocals for us because because you know they're all you see that that's another thing, Steve. When you're with, with, with um, Stiff Records, everybody knows each other and they're all cool people. And so you'll see somebody in the, in, in the studio. And so the, stu the studio producers who are good friends with these people, tell them, like, bang a couple of vocals on there for us, wouldn't you love? You know, all that kind of stuff, all to their buddies. And it'll be too easy for them, you know? So, yeah, yeah. So, so that, that's, that's how that transpired. It was because we didn't, we, we didn't, um, I think we might have actually done another song as well. And then they decided we do a cover. This band, because, you know, if you look at a track like Sign of the Times, it's really yeah. about, it's a female empowerment song. This band was, in effect, way ahead of its time. You know, there were, it was a girl band that had female empowerment 10 years before the Spice Girls, or even longer maybe. But it was like, it was a long time before that became a theme. And it was a, and I think there is a sort of argument to say that this was a, a really important band. Do you look back on that and realize how much influence this band had? Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Well, there were bands before us. Yes, there were, but I think this was one that was really, you know, a female empowerment band, a band that really you understood we were in a different era. Right. Okay. Okay. Because um, yeah, there was Fanny, remember, and there was the other one with with my friend Cherry's lovely girl, Cherry Curry, the Runaways. So they 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 were yeah. all girl band. Yeah. I mean, so that, but but we were seven women, and they did six of them play, did play instruments and. We, I suppose. Okay, I'm going to say, I'm going to put it this way. It's a very strange thing you should say that, you know, Steve, because I'm working with a good friend of mine. If you, I'm just going to give, give you a story, because you, know, you ask great questions, by the way, and um, and I'm working with a friend of mine, and I think that you know, when you when you become older, and you've you know you you no longer do those kind of things. I mean, I still do music. I still go out. I record with absolutely everybody. I'm a prolific songwriter, but there comes a time when you go, you know, what else can I do with this that is that could be really good for somebody else? And I, and I'm going out with my friend next year, 
um, she's a, she's a, a, a lady called Elizabeth Westwood. She's a good friend of mine, and she she did that uh, that the track Sonic Boom Boy. Anyway, we become very very good friends. We got our own little radio show and everything else, and we're going out as a team of two ex pop stars to educate women on what it was like back in those days, you know. So, and it was empowering, and all the hoops that you would get have to go around because it was all kind of like very much a very male dominated world and you know many of the people would i it didn't happen to me because i could sing but the others the, the girls would be affected by you know the sound guy going oh she can't do this or she can't do this like, hold on a minute you know this is our gig you know and they were they were a bit flippant about the um the players and i i felt sorry for them in that way the girls so but it, it was very, very self, you know, it was, it, it was very empowering when you were, when, when you, when you got through all of that and you got on top of the pops anyway, and you became that person that they didn't think that you could be. And, 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 and you did it, you did it gracefully. And we had so much fun. I mean, it's, it, it's some of the best years of my life. I can't, I, I can't, you know, deny that. I mean, I think what sums up what I wanted to say by that is that you wouldn't really imagine Another girl group supporting the Clash. Oh, the Clash! I'm I'm doing something with with Mick actually, and 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 some friends of ours. Um, a, a play for next that comes out next year. Oh, that's that, that's that, that's something I'm up that we're doing. It's called Sticking Boy. Now that well, I'll tell you that another time. But um, yeah, the Clash. That was something. That's funny enough. Um, it was in Dingwalls that I found out that we'd be going to the Clash gig, and they'd asked for us. I didn't even know them. And they asked for us and they said, well, we want the, the Bell Stars to come and support us. And so there were three bands out there. There was Telephone. Well, Telephone was the biggest. Do you know Telephone? Yeah. Yeah. Well, Telephone was one of the biggest bands in in France. And and so they supported and we were the main we were the main support. And then there was The Clash. And that was just one of the most eye-opening experiences of my life. And it, I remember. I remember us going on, I remember us going from, I think we'd gone from Spain or something. We didn't have any time to wash our clothes. I had dirty knickers in the carrier bag. I kid you not. Like, this is the truth, right? Well, it's rock and roll, you know what I mean? I kid you not, no suitcase, nothing. Everything's stinking. Anyway, so we get on the, we get on the train, we get on the, on the, um, on the boat and we, and we, and, and it's a boat, it's not even a plane. And I don't know why. I think it's probably because of money problems and stuff. And we, and then we were doing. I remember us doing renditions of Ico all the way from wherever we were, from England to, to wherever it was. We get to the other side, and 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 the um, oh the the the, the captain. You know, he just said, yeah, we use our microphones and we were singing renditions of like Ico all the way through to the whole of the, every, everybody on the ship. It was incredible. We arrived there and then, and then I just remember trying to get to sleep and a, and a good friend of um Joe Strummer says, Jenny! Well, I knew him. Uh, Cosmo Vinyl. Jenny, come on! I said, I'm to bed. You know, I need some bed. And then my knickers were actually drying until they were trying in the sunlight and I think, just put your jeans on, come on. So anyway, so I went down the stairs and they were all drinking and it was this and that. And then, so, so anyway, I, I, you know, and that was just like, it was five days of that. And it was absolutely 
the best tour I've ever been on. The best. It was so much fun. They were such gentlemen. We had the best time. What do you think bands like that, art, other artists, would learn from you at the time? Okay, that's a question. Do you know I haven't got an answer to that? For a change? I have to think about that one, Steve. Whoa, I've stumped you. <laughs> Listen, the, the day is not yet. Yeah, I'm sure you've got a few more questions. I might come back with that answer. You never know. This podcast is sponsored by Skylight Calendar. Do you wish your family life could be a little more organized and a lot less hectic? Now there's an easy way to make it happen. The Skylight Calendar. The Skylight Calendar is an innovative, smart, all-in-one touchscreen calendar that automatically syncs up existing calendars your family uses Everyone's upcoming events are automatically organized and displayed for the family to see in big, easy-to-read, color-coded time blocks. And with Skylight Calendar, you can assign household chores to your kids, keep grocery lists, plan dinners, and much more. And Skylight's mobile app keeps your family up to date on the go, anywhere, anytime. Managing a busy household just got a little bit easier with the Skylight Calendar. Now get $15 off your Skylight Calendar when you go to skylightcal.com family. Go to skylightcal.com slash family for $15 off. That's S-K-Y-L-I-G-H-T-C-A-L dot com slash family. If I remember prior to that, my friend um, Tessa, she was in a band called The Slits, and they'd actually had them on their, um, you know, on, on one of their, on some of their tours back in those days. And so for us, um, you, you, I just, I just wonder, you know, what it might be like for those guys to have the, the you know, the female artists on stage. And I, I remember what it was like for us. And you know, Joe Strummer, I have to say, is just such a fabulous man. And I'll never forget him. And I remember, I remember walking in the first time I kind of really met him, and he said to me, "Now, Jenny." He said, I want to tell you something. He said, um, no drinking out of other people's cups. And I was like, well, why is that? And then he went down into this whole story, how he got, how he caught hepatitis and this and that. Well, I've never drunk out of anybody's cups since. And no, 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 it's very, very true. And another thing was that um, uh, back in those days, they in, in France, well, we, I think we finished it in England, but in France, they were still spitting at the, you know, for the punk scene and all that spitting stuff. I was like, don't do that, man. I like it. It is just everybody spitting everything. And then, so Joe Strummer, guess on the first gig, he turned around and said, These are our guests. If anybody spits at this band, they said, They're women. They said, If any, anybody spits at this band, he said, We're not coming on stage. There wasn't one spit in the house for us. <laughs> Jojo, but he, he, you know, he's. We just had such an amazing time with these people. They were so much fun, and there was there, there's so many funny things. I'm actually writing a book, um, and it's and it's um, you know, it's called "Do You Want to Hear a Story?" And I've got stories about absolutely every single person that I've met on my musical journey, and and, and the story about the Clash is definitely going to be in there. Mm. Tell me one that I would not expect about someone that I would not expect. With some personal ones, I can't say. So no, no, I don't mean that. Book. I don't want to. I don't want gossip. Okay. I just want something. Well, do you want a funny one? Yeah. 
Yeah. Okay. So, so, so we're in the, so we're, so we're in the coach and we have to go through the, um, the checkpoint to, because we're going to another country. Right. And, um, cause we're, we're doing the European tour, by the way. Yeah. And so, so all of a sudden everybody stops and, and it's all right. And we're, we're in this massive coach cause we shared the coach together. That was, that was their wish, not ours. And, but we were so grateful to them that, that we did. And, and then it was all quiet. I remember everybody being quiet. And then the, the, the guy that, you know, runs the coach, um, he, he thought, you know, we were sitting there waiting for a long time. Oh, I'll tidy up. Right. So as he's tidying up around everything else, and then he picks up the, he picks up the, the bin to throw it out. And all of a sudden you see a few people down from, from the back of the thing. No, no, and what's happened is they threw all their gear in the bin. They're smoking stuff. <laughs> all the weed or whatever it is that they, I don't even know how they got weed in the country. They're trying to stop. And I was laughing and crying. I don't smoke weed, but but they did. And and uh, and and I was I just thought it was hilarious. I thought it was hilarious. That's just one of the funny moments. But there were more. What has been your relationship with fame? Because okay, I mean fame is another thing where you know there are different massive different levels of it and when i when i was on uh on mtv yeah it was you know the attention at first was lovely and all that stuff but mm -hmm. i i grew to look at fame as the reason that i wasn't happy and uh, i don't today but i look at it because you know it's way in the past and everything but that fame that I had then, I felt it was in the way of my happiness. And I just wondered if you saw fame in any different way than than someone would normally describe it. Because people say, oh, it must be great to be to get attention. It must be great to be known. It must be great to have the door open for every nightclub to be given whatever, which I was and all that sort of stuff. But in the end, I saw it as something that actually was restrictive and wasn't a good thing and actually probably the worst drug in the world very interesting it's how it's very interesting how people think see things differently depending on what their makeup is in life i just i just went with the flow i never sometimes i would secretly there'd be occasions where you'd be in certain situations where you'd secretly go Okay, I can get into that nightclub here, and as I bring all my mates in, and all the the silly stuff, the silly stuff. But and I and yes, it does open doors, and yes, if you're in certain areas, people do have seem to have this deep respect for you know that with all they they think that they have this respect for you for what they think that you've done and everything else, and you know that. And if you're an arsehole, you know, you'll play on that. You know, you know, I never I never did. I um I had an experience once and I wanna I, I share this with you. And I was doing music laden. It was a German radio show just like Top of the Pops. And everybody was there, and one of the people that was there was um Eartha Kitt, right? And such a stunner. And I remember us all being in the refectory, you know, we because when they went up and did the under um, camera stuff, that was one artist there, and all the other bands were in the refectory, we were like drinking wine, this, that, and the other. Then all of us, and I'm playing backgammon with my buddies and stuff, and then all of a sudden, 
the door opens and it's like the okay corral right so it's, 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 it's just like it's just like you know well you know in the western where you see the door open and everybody looks around and everybody's quiet as a mouse they zip the lip and we're looking at, and it's her and she and this is this this tiny thing right with like high heels and this kind of fur she's got all over her you know what she's like glamour puss right and she she looks around the room and she's like she yeah, her eyes look over at the, the backgammon board and she's like, um, her darling, she says, who's winning? And I just said, I am. So she comes in, clack, 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 clack with her heels, right? And she gets her and she and she gets her on her hip and she nudges me over and she says, right, I'm playing the winner. And I just thought, I want to be like that. I want to, I want to, I just want to be that kind of person. Uh, I never want to be up my own ass. I don't think I ever have been. And I, I just I just want to be just as cool as that woman is. And um I don't I wouldn't say I, I am cool, but I've never been up my own backside when it comes to that, e even though I've seen an awful lot of my friends that have changed as a result of fame. Mm -hmm. You mentioned Eartha Kitt. I mean Eartha Kitt, of course, famously stood up to Lyndon Johnson. Um she's stood up against racism in America, she stood for female empowerment before we were born. I mean, she was mm -hmm. one of the most amazing women women well, in the world. Again, see, she she had trauma in her own life. She's been through some stuff in her life, and I just and that, that's why she was self medicating too because she drank quite a bit. And but I just remember her. I remember saying to her because my mother did actually really like her a lot, and I thought, oh, this is something I'm going to get. I'm going to get a picture of her, and you know, and pass it on to my mother. Even though my mother had done all those things, I still did that. And um, and it was just a lovely thing, and it's just a memory that I have of this wonderful woman. I just really, really liked her, and I used to think. I know it sounds really childish and silly, but I used to think, oh, why wasn't she my mum? You know, and things like that. She was the most beautiful woman. And with the most down-to-earth, lovely soul. When the band ended, and when that, for you, it sort of fell apart, mm -hmm. um, and you went down a hole. You went down a, I don't know what you call it, really, like a, you went into a hole. Um, mm -hmm. Where was the moment, because didn't you end up in Miami or in, mm -hmm. in, in, in mm -hmm. a uh, clinic? In fact, actually, I went to Carol... To Carroll City or something. My my family lived there, and then it was somewhere in America. And then I had a friend that was DJing out there, and he said to me, "Jenny, don't go back home. You know, stick around." Because I was I was only there for three weeks, and at that time I was going out with my then boyfriend, um, Chrissy boy from Madness, and who, by the way, I I got off the phone with and said, "Chrissy." That's the reason why I'm still wearing the hat. Anyway, so 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 I was going out with him at the time, and I'd gone off to clean my act up, but I'd gone to my family. And then I was about to come home. Two days before I came home, my friend picked me up in the car and said, Jen, and he and, 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 and he brought me down to uh oh, what is it called? Uh it's near Woody's nightclub, Miami, on Miami Beach. And I just thought, wow, what a beautiful place. You know, everything was 1930s buildings. It was just like really lovely. And I and and I said, what a shame I didn't come here. It's really lovely. And he said, stick around, Jen. He said, just get a job, just stick around. And I was like, well, okay, let me see what I can do. So I stuck around, right? And I still had, you know, time on the visa and stuff. So and 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 then a year later, <laughs> I kid you. Not. 
And yeah, my boyfriend was so pissed off. Uh, by that, by then, of course, I lost my boyfriend. And um, we, in fact, we were speaking about this on the phone earlier on today. But he's my he's like my best friend now. Anyway, so cut a long story short, I'm out there and I'm doing shows. Funny enough, with cassettes because you could still do it in those days. It was like late eighties, and some of the things were the Bell Star stuff, which is like Ico and this and that, this and that. And there was this place called Scratch Scratch Nightclub that my friend DJed in. And all the pop stars would come. George Michael would come, this and that. And my friend at the time, Rusty Egan, he, kind of friend, he um, said to me, Jenny, he said, what are you doing here? And I just said, I'm living here. And he said, no. He said, everybody's looking for you. And I said, why, what happened? They said, you've got a hit. And I was like, well, what, what do you mean? And then and then, then the next thing you know, I hear that I'm in this, they've got a song in, uh, what do you call it? In Rain Man, Dustin Hoffman, Tom it. Cruise. Yeah. So I was like, oh, and he said, can I take your number? I said, yeah, sure you can. So I gave him the number, didn't think anything of it. Now it's coming on Christmas, right? And it, it, it was only about a couple of weeks before that. And it's freezing cold. It was freezing. Listen to me. Sorry, it was boiling hot. Sorry, because it was in Miami. It was boiling hot, and I was thinking, this is the weirdest Christmas I've ever had. I've never had Christmas in the heat and everything like this before. And we we had the we had the car radio, and and I said to my friend, I've really liked this song, and she stopped in the middle of the freeway, just scratching, and I said, what? And she said, it's you, and I said, what's me? And I didn't realize it was me, it was my track because people were talking over it. And the people that were talking over it were some um, Tom Cruise and Dustin Hoffman advertising the song and they were using our song to advertise the bloody the, the, the film, which I'd never seen before. It was only just coming out. And, and I just thought, can they do that? Are they allowed to do that? Anyway, I get home. And a couple, of a couple of days later, I get a phone call. Who is it? It's Hollywood. I kid you not. So the, this is what I'm saying about things dropping on my lap. It's just constant, man. And, 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 they, and you know, in America, they deal with attorneys, right? I don't know what attorneys. So I, but I knew there was an attorney next door. So I knocked on the door. I didn't hardly knew the guy. And, um, and I said, excuse me. I said, uh, I think his name is Joe. I said, excuse me. I said, I need an attorney. Now he's come out of the door. He's only got a towel wrapped around his piece, right? And he's just like, kid you not, and I hardly knew him. And I said, I mean, the attorney knew him. He said, what's going on? I said, I've got Hollywood on the phone. He says, I'll be in in two seconds. So the next thing you know, he's on the phone. Two weeks later, I'm flying out to Hollywood. I'm chatting to all the executives, right? just me on one side of the table and all of the executives on the other. And, and we're talking about how, you know, how, how, the, how the video is going to be. And they said, you know, what have you thought about? And I was like, uh, thinking, what the hell are they talking about? And then and, and I said, I, I said, why? I, they said, have you got an idea for the, the video? I was like, yeah, of course I have. I said, um, have you? <laughs> they like, yeah. I said, can I hear yours first? So I said, no, I think I'll go with your idea. It sounds great. So the following day, there I am. Um, what am I doing? I'm, I'm auditioning Janet Jackson's dancers and the rest is history. Two weeks later, it's on heavy rotation and um, a, a video, and, and that was it. It's just amazing. Eventually, you come back to England, and, mm -hmm. and I hope I got the time the, the times right, because I, obviously there's, you know, in my head, it's I've read this, and then I'm putting the times together. But you lived with a boyfriend. I think his name was Andrew. 
Yeah. And a terrible, another tragic, terrible story. Can you tell me what happened? Right, so he was in my friend, I told you my friend Gaz from way back in the day. In the early, so Gaz, Gaz Mayo was a good friend of mine at the time and I played in his band. And we went to Japan together and everything else. And I got friendly with Andrew. He was the, the sweetest man. And he was very, he was multi-talented. And he was highly intelligent. And, but he was very quiet, unlike me. <laughs> unlike me. And he, just a lovely soul. And I just, we got on really, really well. And unbeknownst to me, he had clinical depression. And there were no signs of it for me because I didn't understand it. So I wouldn't have known what to look for. Had I have met his mother, I would have known that. And he actually wanted me to meet his mum. But I still had reservations about meeting people's families because of my own mum. And so I chose not to do that. Anyway, cut long story short, one day, he, then he moved in with me for a little while. And then one day he just, I woke up and he was still lying there looking at the ceiling. And he did that for about seven days. And I then this thought it must be me. It must be my fault. So I said to him, Andrew, I said, look, why don't you go back to your flat, you know, and see if, because I all the time I think it's my fault, all the time. And then he, and then he went back to his place in Crickerwood. And I was in Maidavel at the time. And he then, uh, th then there was a, a, a knock on my door around near midnight one night. So this is about seven days afterwards. And there was a police and they said, oh, you know, do you know Andrew? And I said, I do, you know, what's wrong? Is he okay? And they said, no, I'm, I'm sorry, but he took his own life. Wow. Wow. I just, you asked me a question earlier on and you know, I can't remember what it was, but this is, this is pertaining. This is the kind of answer to it. Um, I don't know. I can't remember how you put it, but in that moment, in that moment, everything changed, everything changed. And I screamed so loud. You must've been able to hear me in Australia. I, I just, I couldn't believe it. And it was, I don't know, it might have been some of the things that had hit me as a three-year-old, losing my sister. Remember, there was only two of us. When my sister's murdered, there's only me on my own. And I'm having to deal with a mother that I know what she's done uh, to, you know, to my sister before I then leave the parental home. Um, all of those things must come back into play when something like this happens. And you also then start to recognize and realize that this is way after, you know, Andrew died, that I've just been going on in life like a lost soul. I have been a lost soul nearly most of my life. At that, that age, I was 33 then. And, and realized then how lost I was and eventually I went down the road of Buddhism I went to my see my friends 
and some of them were monks and nuns and all that kind of stuff. In fact, my my friend was a nun, and and she introduced me to all the others, and it was a, it was a great situation. It was really really it was really really cool, but it took me a long while to get over that. It it I I, I was so devastated. Um, yeah, I was I was devastated, and it doesn't affect me anymore. But it was definitely the turning point that made me see things differently and start to become highly philosophical about life. And so if that was also a, a thing to do with the Buddhism that I'd, I'd, I'd encountered, I, I didn't go straight into Buddhism or anything like that. I just, I observed it. And then I, you know, and then I read its ways and stuff and some of the stuff resonated with me. I wouldn't say I was a full on Buddhist. I did take the vows and everything, all that kind of stuff. So at the time when I was in the environment, I did go all, all, all for it. But, uh, you know, I've never been all for any religion because it's not my it's not my way, um, even though I do believe in something, a higher being. But that all came into play and and it. It made me realize the importance of life and how people are affected by when people go, you know, like that. And, you know, Andrew had everything to live for, but he himself had been traumatized as a child. And he once said to me, he said to me, Jenny, he said to me, you're so much stronger than I ever will be. And I didn't understand it then, but he 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 obviously knew, and um, some crazy stuff. Uh, it was it was devastating for me, absolutely devastating. Mm. I mean, when Change you say me. you would you'd be lying next to him at this period where he was just staring up at the ceiling, you know, for mm -hmm. days, mm -hmm. and you'd be going, "It's me." And in my head, in my head. Yeah, I no, just, I understand. I understand that in your head, you know, you're thinking it's you. Mm. was it and this is terrible to ask in a way is it something that when these events happen you you know when your mother um suffocated your sister and killed your sister did you think it was a you as well do you see what I mean was were you to blame did in your head for things that happened and that was the key to change was in a sense realizing that that wasn't the case and then you can start to move on and heal. No, I, when when that happened with my mother, that that I I one hundred percent categorically knew that it wasn't my own fault because my mother was very cruel to me. I mean, she do she do horrible things like, um, let's say, uh, remember the Alfred Hitchcock movies? I was terrified of them as a child, and she'd make sure she put the music on really loud, and I'd be absolutely screaming because for some reason I didn't like them, you know, well, possibly for, for good reason. So things like that. So no, I knew I, I knew that was never about me because I'd already had the experience of a woman that had been very cruel to me in the past. So from day one, my, 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 my mother was quite jealous as well. You know, my father kind of at the time doted on me. And so she, she couldn't quite take that. So, um, but that's fine, you know. I understand now that my mother was damaged goods and the reasons why she did it, and I have no no form of bitterness whatsoever, you know. In fact, I have a lot to thank her for. So, if you see at the back of my book, I mentioned, you know, I, you know, I, I, uh, you know, I said thank you, you know, for 
for basically giving me those lessons and making me the person that I am today. Because if it was not for her and her teachings or her abuse, I wouldn't be. I see them as teachings, um, Steve, you know. And now I'm able to turn around and say, you know, I see I see every single bruise as a blessing. You know, a blessing. It's like, it, Do you know, it, the analogy is, you know, when you've got a butterfly, you know, you've got a caterpillar. And the caterpillar goes through that little pupae thing and it goes through and, and, and the struggle of life and it's trying to get out. It's like, get, get, I'm gonna get out. And every time it bangs its little wing here and there, it gets a bruise on the wing until such time as it comes out of that thing. And what does it do? It spreads its wings and all the bruises that you see are the colors that it's gained through its struggle in life. You know, And then that's the beauty that you can see in the butterfly, all the, you you know the beautiful colours, the struggles that it's had, and then all of a sudden it no longer has any struggles, and everybody sees it as a beautiful butterfly, you know. But the same with people, you know, it's what you do with the experiences of life that you have that will make you the butterfly that you become in the future, hopefully. Mm. I think it's incredibly powerful what you know, as I said at the start about the end of the book, and you saying that you thank your mother because mm -hmm. those experiences are what in essence now has made you today who you are having to go through all that and that sentence you chose your mother as a parent I mean it's an incredibly powerful sentence would you like me to elaborate on that yep <laughs> I thought that was the question was it a question okay well you know when you've gone through all this life and you and you've gone through all the traumas and you've come out the other side. And let's face it, you, you, you've had some good stuff too. I mean, come on, Steve, MTV. You know, who gets, who gets MTV slapped on them? Come on, that's, that's an amazing thing. Who gets to become a pop star in their lifetime? That's an amazing thing. So we've got the, we've got the balance here and everything else. But you, 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 you become more philosophical about life with your observations and throughout all of your experiences. And then you get to a point and you realize and recognize that soon that life is gonna be over with you in the flesh. And remember, I've also had a spiritual part in my life, very spiritual. So it would be starting off from, you know, them trying to indoctrinate me with, you know, the, the uh, Catholicism. And then, then it's me going and finding my own way to heal myself through Buddhism, Buddhism because of a traumatic experience that I've collected within my journey. And then, you know, and then, and then you, then you have other traumas as well, you know, you know, one of them coming off the gear, one of them doing this, you know, you know, my, 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 my niece got, you know, stabbed to death in Camden town. I mean, all of these things are traumatic, you know, but then you start realizing, there's more to this. There's more to this. And I believe it's a, a very spiritual thing. And so I say, and, and so I search for things. And a lot of things make sense to me that the eye doesn't see. So I'm very much sometimes very much in the, in the esoteric world from time to time, where people go, uh oh, she's on one again. And so when you have that kind of meditative nature, you um you hear and see different things. And one of the things that makes sense to me is that I honestly believe that we have all known each other 
in planes before, in lifetimes before. I believe that this piece of skin here that you see is a is just a piece of meat, and that we were chosen to come down or to come up or wherever or to be here um, on this plane in order to be able to witness something incredible, which I believe is going to happen this year, uh, which is going to be biblical. And on top of that, it's to uh, to come again together. And how do I put this? We're all here for a purpose. Every single person that we see, good and bad. And we need, and we can't just have the good. We have to have the bad as well, because it's the bad that teaches us, you know? So like I say, my mother was a great example of, you know, punching somebody in the face as a child is not a very nice thing to do. That isn't that kind of, you know, but at the same time, if that, if that person can get through that and get out of that and then learn from it and, and then able, be able to teach somebody else the positives about that, then, hey, you know, so so I would say, oh, and then and then we have to deal with karma, you know, because I, I believe in karma as well. And and I and then I have to ask myself the question, what if I was my mother in another life? And if that was possible then surely I should have some form of empathy. And that's when you start becoming even more, you know, with, with the empathy. And, and you start, going, start realizing that, you know, in the long run, it, it doesn't matter anymore. It's what you do with the experiences of life. And I realize and recognize, I believe that I've known you in this lifetime, Steve, the people around me, I feel that we've all known each other and we've all come to a place where one day that we said that we would meet again. How do you know, Steve, that you didn't meet me in the in uh, thing before and said, Jen, you know, when you're 66, I'm going to come in, I'm going to ask you some questions because this, I'm in a position now to, uh, uh, to, to uh, I've got a platform and that platform, I'm going to invite you in there to talk about your life and, and that might be able to help five people. It might be able to help 10 people. It might be able to help one person. But whatever it is it does, it is bigger than you, Steve, because your platform goes out there and other people listen to it and they it, that will resonate. Something that I say will resonate with, with them because like you, many other people have been traumatized with something within their lifetime. I can guarantee. And I think that that is our friendship on this plane. We've known each other before. I honestly, honestly believe that. We've been through some form of kind of parallel life where you've had a trauma. You've also worked in the music business. Come on, man. What's not to kind of say that's, there are no coincidences. There are none. I honestly believe that, Steve. I think that's absolutely beautiful. And I, the, the thing is this, I mean, I've been, this has transfixed me in the last hour completely. It's been fascinating. Um, and what I love about your story is that it is so, it's so, such a tough story, but yet it's such a beautiful story in the end. And it's really powerful. And a friend of mine, and this is going to sound very facile, and she always says this to me, she said, let's face it, 
everyone's had a shit sandwich in their life and it's what you do with it that counts. <laughs> no, she's totally right. What you've she's done with it been... is fantastic. No, no, she's totally right. It's a great way of, I'm, I might actually use it myself. No, she's totally right. And, you know, it's exactly, it's exactly what she says. You know, it's what you do with it. That's it. Turn that shit sandwich into gold. That's what we need to do. That's the one. It's been amazing That's talking to you. I've loved every moment of it. Thank and you. Yeah. A lovely thing. And thank you for thinking. If we've met in a past life, I'm really did. happy about that. Yeah. Maybe we meet in the future life, this life. <laughs> I okay. hope so. But yeah, well, hey, I hope this is not going to be the only time. You know, there are things that there are things that we all know. And in the future, like, I bet we will speak again. I know we will, Steve. Brilliant. Okay, Jenny. Okay. Thank you so much. You can close Very the windows welcome. now and I, I'm going to cook tea. Bye. Okay. See you later. Up there is an interview I recommend. Down there is where you can find all the podcast interviews. And here is where you can connect. At Sleep Outfitters Outlet, great sleep is a big deal. Save 40 to 60% every day on every Sealy, Stearns & Foster, and Tempur-Pedic. Queens as low as $249. Customer exchanges, closeouts, and floor samples. Inventory changes daily, so come in for your dream deal today. With no credit needed financing, expert advice, and up to 60% off retail, it's never been easier to get the sleep and savings you deserve. Go to sleepoutfittersoutlet.com for financing details and to find a store near you. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.